Please be seated. Good morning. My name is Dinesh. Uh, please keep your Bibles open at Luke chapter 2, and you'll find an outline in the bulletin. But before we begin, uh, there's two things for us to always remember. No one is able to preach God's Word because no one is sufficient for that work. No one is able to understand God's Word on their own because no one is sufficient for that. So let us come to God and ask for His help so that we can do this today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before You and we ask for You to be working in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Lord, help me to preach faithfully and help each and every one of us to hear and respond to your voice in the scriptures. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We come today to a narrative in Luke. It tells a story that for many parents is a nightmare scenario. A child is lost in a busy city. Distraught parents frantically searching for the child. Yet, however, in all this drama, we learn important things about Jesus, which we will be looking at together. Now, so far in Luke's Gospel, we have seen the story of how Jesus was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, the birth narrative of Jesus in the manger, how as a child he returned to Nazareth and was filled with wisdom as he grew. Then this passage brings us forward and we see that the baby Jesus has grown to a 12-year-old boy now. And we start with this little snippet in verse 41 that tells us a little about his family. Verse 41, Now, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. Both Mary and Joseph went to Jerusalem every year for the Passover. And this is in accordance with the commands in the Old Testament. But this time, they brought Jesus with them. See, Jesus was growing up, and this is the time to start instructing him in the Word of God so that he can prepare for his life as an Israelite. Now, this celebration of Passover, it is a celebration of God's salvation of his people that we find in the book of Exodus. The people took shelter under the blood of a lamb that was sacrificed, and the judgment of God passed over them, and they were saved in order to serve God. Now, you may have noticed the irony here, that while the people were celebrating the Passover in Jerusalem, this time, the true Lamb of God that comes to take away the sins of the world, He has joined them. As He is preparing on His way to be the true sacrifice that saves His people. Then, we come to the end of the feast, and we hear this in verse 42. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then, they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. When the feast had ended, families and friends were gathered together into large groups to travel in convoys. On their way back home, 
after a whole day of traveling, Joseph and Mary suddenly come to a horrible realization. They have lost Jesus. They searched for Jesus among their families and friends who were traveling back with them, but they couldn't find Jesus. And so they went back to Jerusalem to seek Jesus. And they didn't immediately find him. Verse 46, we were told that they searched for him for three days. Now at this point, those of you who have children can sympathize with how they must be feeling. Searching for three days and not finding their child. The despair must be overwhelming. But then, we hear good news. Verse 46, after three days they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Jesus is now found. He is in the temple. And we find him there, sitting with the teachers. We see him learning from them as he listens to these teachers of Israel and he's asking them questions. Now, the temple was a place of learning about God's word. And here, the teachers instruct people on the Torah, the Word of God. And therefore, we can see that Jesus was here because he loved God's Word. And we also see that it wasn't merely passive learning that Jesus was doing here. We see in verse 47, And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. See, Jesus wasn't merely listening but he demonstrated a keen understanding and he gave answers that amazed those who heard him. And this shows us the great wisdom that Jesus possesses. Now, this shouldn't be a surprise for us because earlier in verse 40, we see that the child Jesus grew and he was filled with wisdom by God. And this is actually a fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 11, where we see that the servant of the Lord is identified by the fact that the spirit of wisdom and understanding rests on him. And here, we see the internal evidence of this. Even before we see the external evidence during the baptism of Jesus when he's an adult, when we see the spirit descending on Jesus. And also here, we see a foreshadowing of the role that Jesus will play. We will see in the ministry of Jesus as he grows up that he goes to the temple to teach with authority, to cleanse the temple, to question the teachers, to rebuke those who are teaching the wrong things. And when Jesus does this, those who listen to him with an open heart, they were amazed by his teaching, just like these teachers were, when this 12-year-old Jesus spoke to them. So in this passage, we see this foreshadowing of the purpose of why Jesus came. Even at this tender age, Jesus is faithful to the things of his Father. His interests are fully aligned with the Father's desires. And with that, we come to verse 48. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. Their reaction to seeing Jesus at the temple was astonishment. This wasn't a lost child who was found, but one who intentionally came to the temple and caused anguish to his parents. On the third day, they were probably fearing the worst 
And then suddenly, they find him calmly sitting in the temple. And so we see Mary then offering this ever so gentle rebuke to him. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Why has Jesus done this? Did he not realize that Joseph and her were so worried that they suffered as they looked for him? If we look back at the commandments, we see that God commanded us to honor our parents. What Jesus does here seems unloving, seems as if Jesus was a disobedient and sinful child. How then do we justify what Jesus did? Here's the answer that Jesus himself gives in verse 49. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Now, at first glance, it seems like this is a very rude way for Jesus to answer his mother, considering the anguish that he has put her through. But there is a deeper meaning here. Now, firstly, we have to understand that Jesus, during the time of his ministry, he taught that obedience to God is a higher calling than even obedience to family. As Jesus puts it, anyone who comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life cannot be my disciple. So this teaching is to be understood as that our love for Jesus is to be so great that by comparison, our love for our family is seen as if it's hatred. It's about prioritizing him above all else. And think about it, in the same way, does not Jesus, the Son of God, love his Father so much more than anyone else? This means his priority is on hearing and loving the Word of God. And think about it, how would someone who loves God so much respond when he comes face to face finally with a temple where his word is taught? Even the term used when Jesus said, I must be in my father's house, it doesn't just imply being in the temple, it actually implies that Jesus has a desire to be doing his father's business. The ESV Bibles have a little footnote at the bottom that points this out for us. Now, doing God's business in this context means being in the temple where the Word is taught, engaging with the teachers of God's Word, preparing oneself for ministry by soaking in this Word, delighting in the Word of God day and night like that righteous man in Psalm 1. What we see at the temple here, that imagery where Jesus was listening to the teachers and engaging with them to great amazement, this is the same picture that we see when Jesus grows up and carries out his ministry. And if we continue reading Luke, we do see this similar event when Jesus is an adult we will see how Jesus goes again to the temple, but this time, not merely to listen and respond, but to teach and rebuke. People, once again, will marvel at him, 
But this time, as one who teaches with authority, and even those who come to find fault with the teaching of Jesus could not find fault with it, and their mouths are shut up. So what we see here in the temple is a clear foreshadowing of the ministry that Jesus will fulfill. So how then can we say that what Jesus did, coming to the temple, faithfully responding, delighting in the word of God, how can we say this was wrong? So if this was understood, then when we see Jesus responding in this manner to Mary, he wasn't being rude, he wasn't being a bad child. What he's trying to say is that who he is determines how he behaves. The true Son of God delights in the Word of God. However, this was not something that Mary and Joseph could process, as we see in verse 50. And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. Mary and Joseph did not fully understand what Jesus meant. They did not know the full picture of what it means for Jesus to be God's son. They don't fully understand how he's going to bring salvation. And so, they get this little glimpse of the secret of God. But this is a secret that will one day be fully revealed. Because one day, Jesus will travel again to Jerusalem. This time, to the cross. This time, to bring the true Passover of God. This time, to come into the Father's true heavenly house so that he can offer that sacrifice that pays for sins once and for all. He comes again to Jerusalem to truly bring his people to God's word, not just teaching to help them understand, but he actually enables his people to be conformed to the word of God. But all of this comes later. The time for it has not come yet. And so we read in verse 51, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. For now, having revealed something of his purposes, Jesus obediently follows his parents submissively. And Mary treasures up these things in her heart. She does not understand it now, but there will come a day when Jesus is lost again. When Mary will be in terrible despair as she sees her son taken away from her at the cross. But just like this event, in three days, she will find him again. And she will realize that the separation was necessary because Jesus came to do his father's business. So as we reflect on this, we also see this amazing duality in Jesus. In him, we see the divine, eternal Son of God who reveals himself here as a son of the Father. And at the same time, we see the simple humanity of Christ in verse 53. Sorry, verse 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. He grew up just like us. And if you notice, Luke began with Jesus as a baby, and then a child. Then we started the passage, and Jesus is referred to as the boy Jesus. 
And by the end of the passage, it ends with him referred to as Jesus, no longer called boy. Now, before we conclude, we have learned a few things from this passage, haven't we? As we see, the humanity of Jesus, together with the divinity of Jesus, we will have to realize that God took on this messiness of living in the flesh for our sake. The two natures of Jesus, fully divine, fully man, is actually a testament of how much God loves us, that he will endure this for our sake. Next, we learn how Jesus was true to his nature. The Son of God comes to do God's will. And what about us? Are we not adopted sons of God? Do we not have a mission? To bring the gospel to all nations, to make disciples of Christ, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Are we doing this? Can you say that you are a faithful son? We should be reflecting if our faithfulness mirrors Jesus or if we need to repent. Now, Jesus also shows us the temple where people were taught God's will is his father's house. And this tells us that what Jesus teaches us are the things that his father desires. So we have no excuse to reject Jesus and his teachings. We need to conform to them and we need to trust in his wisdom, the same wisdom that amazed the teachers in the temple. So let us not doubt Jesus when he tells us how to live our lives, when he tells us what to give up. Instead, let us give up our own independence and we learn to submit to him. And finally, we learn that Jesus is truly the one who brings peace to his people. He brings about the true Passover. It is only in him is our salvation found. Therefore, we should seek Jesus for our salvation. And we do not have to find him at a place. Instead, we come face to face with him when we read the word of God. Because through the scriptures, Jesus speaks to us. God speaks to us. Through the word, we learn to submit to Jesus, to trust in his teaching, because we know that this, this is the word of God that Jesus comes to bring to us. Even more, we know that Jesus is the word who took on flesh to come and teach us. So let us look back at this passage and resolve to learn from Jesus to delight in God's word, to seek to do our Father's business, to love God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks that you sent your Son to come and die for us so that we can be saved, adopted as your sons. And Father, we pray for each and every one of us here that as you work in our hearts, you will teach us to love you, to love your words, to delight in your words. Help us to submit 
and help us to be more like Jesus with each passing day. All this we pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. We stand now to reaffirm our faith with the words of the Nicene Creed found on pages 5 and 6. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, one in being with the Father, through him all things were made. For us men and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he was born of the Virgin Mary and became man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered, died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in fulfillment of the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, where the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken to the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead, the life of the world to come. Amen. Let us pray. Let us pray for the church and for the world. Let us thank God for his goodness. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, you promised through your Son, Jesus Christ, to hear us when we pray in faith. Pray for your church throughout the world. Today, especially, we want to remember church in Belgium. We ask for more fully trained pastors to, di to disciple young Christians, that there will be an end to nominalism among those who claim to be Christians in this nation, that they will be committed disciples of Jesus Christ. Pray that there will be unity among the Christian groups and organizations in Belgium so that through their love for one another, Others may know that they are Christ's disciples. Continue to pray for our province in Southeast Asia. Remembering and upholding our Archbishop Ng Moon Hing. We ask, Lord, that he will continue to faithfully preach your gospel as he pastures your flock. Lord, enable our diocese to move forward with the theme of 2019 bringing in the sheaves. May the gospel bear much fruit in the coming year as we faithfully share it. I want to pray for our following specific churches in our province, in the Diocese of West Malaysia today. We pray for St. Andrew's Church in Ulutiram, led by Reverend Isaac Pandian there. 
also want to pray for St. Faith's Church in Kuching, led by Reverend Kevin Sur. And we uphold all the congregations that worship in these churches. Lord, may Jesus himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort their hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Strengthen your church to carry forward the work of Christ. That we and all who confess your name may unite in your truth, live together in your love and reveal your glory in the world. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Pray for the nations of the world.